welcome back to the Indie, the podcast from the newsroom of the Santa Barbara Independent. I'm your host, Molly McEnany, and this week I'm here with Sean Thompson, former world surfing champion, and Noah Benshia, philosopher and best-selling author of 20 books that have inspired many around the world. Together, they wrote The Surfer and the Sage, A Guide to Survive and Ride Life's Waves, which talks about paving a path of purpose in life and was written and published right here in Santa Barbara. They'll be speaking at an in-person lecture next week on June 16th at the Santa Barbara Maritime Museum and have already begun their book tour around Santa Barbara. Thank Thank you so much to both of you for joining me on the show this week. Thank you, Molly. Good. It's a pleasure to be here, Molly. We love the indie. We love the indie. We love the indie. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad to hear it. So let's start off with your book, The Surfer and the Sage. How did this collaboration come about? I see the surfer must be you, Sean, and the wise sage Noah. But how did your stories, Sean, mess, mesh with Noah's poetry and teachings to start off? Well, what happened is we met through a common friend. He invited us to lunch. And within five minutes of us uh, sitting down and embarking on the lunch, Noah said, hey, Sean, let's do a book together. And I said, right on. And we're going to call it The Surfer and the Sage. And he said, a guide to survive and ride life's waves. And that's how it started. It just was a, we just like clicked, you know, we clicked as human beings. It's pretty rare in life to have that instant connection with someone. And and then we embarked on the book. And and I'm sure Noah can elaborate on that. I was asked to give the keynote address and Sean was a senior speaker at a TEDx conference here in uh, Santa Barbara. And I was in uh, Paris at the time, but they had a video of me giving this and my daughter was there introducing me and she saw Sean and heard Sean and she thought, well, this is the right connection. So you get, you know, that kind of support from people who are insightful to you. And I think in many regards, Sean and I connecting, is, it's like the truth of, we were, we were two, two old friends meeting for the first time. You know, there was that feeling between us. Wow. I love that. Now this book is broken up into two kind of this and that sections for each portion. So like anxious and calm, giving up and letting go. But I feel like over the past two years, the isolated and connected section was quite poignant to me, at least. Can you talk about the message of that segment and why it might especially be helpful for us now that we're kind of re-emerging into the world? Well, I think, um, no, and I really wanted to focus on the duality of life. And uh, during COVID, I'd spoken to over 100,000 people at organizations, drug rehab clinics, PTSD survivors. And I'd ask people, you know, send me a word that describes how you're feeling. I've got this cool technology for my virtual live streams. And the words were stress, anxiety, disconnection, and depression. So we certainly knew that, uh, you know, just from a macro perspective, what people were suffering from. And like you say, disconnection was one of them. And and we decided to write about that duality, about disconnection and connection, about hope and optimism and pessimism. And the book is like a guide away from the darkness into the light. That's kind of how we, we saw it. To Sean's point, all of us know that no one else knows what we're thinking. All of us know uh, how alone we are. And when we are sensitized to our own aloneness, uh, that we realize is what's going on in the life of others. So that in our isolation is our, is in fact our profound connection to others. Recently written that uh, if, if you know a lot in life, you will feel alone. But when you feel you are alone, then you will learn what others are also feeling. 
the idea of the alone and connected is the is the push and pull in life. And that is life can be pushing you and pulling you and often at the same time. And so we wanted to speak to that. And there's, a, there's an honor in knowing and honoring your aloneness. That is in a relationship, the nicest things that two people who love each other can do is honor each other's isolation, honor each other's right to be alone. And that in no way diminishes how sacred it is to be together. Well, and Noah, going off of that, I bring it back to Sean as a surfer, when you're out in the ocean, it's almost this, the isolation leads to a connectedness with nature, with yourself. There are so many ocean analogies that can help teach those who don't even surf how to navigate life and anticipate hard times. And I know you touched on some of those in the book, but how did you come up with new ways to talk about these analogies and even come up with your own through writing about your experiences as a surfer? I just, I just want to jump in here for one second. Sean, I, I looked to hear your answer. But Carissa Moore, the Olympic gold medal winner in surfing, at the top of our book, she says, if you surf, read this book. If you don't surf, read this book. Yes. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, the book is, is very much a metaphor and uses that powerful metaphor of the ocean. I think people are fascinated with the power of the ocean. They're fascinated with that solitary pursuit of a surfer, of a surfer sitting out there, on the board with this huge wave coming uh, towards them and how that aligns to, um, to, to life that we lead. So surfing is such a powerful metaphor. Um, I mean, I've been working with some of the largest corporations in the world over the last uh, 15 years, using surfing as a metaphor for empowering and uniting teams. And uh, even though, you know, it might be a small school and Katlahong in a very impoverished area of South Africa with kids who've never seen the ocean or the beach or the sea. But the sea just has this amazing uh, power to help people think about their lives differently. And also it's a wonderful metaphor to use for transformation for people who might be feeling powerless and uh, be sort of caught in the riptide of the ocean. But here's a, here's a little book, here's a little guide to help you not feel powerless and to get your power back in. That's uh, one of the messages, I suppose, in the book is, is it's a way to get your power back. I, I think what worth keeping in mind is that our bodies are 75% water and our planet is 75% water. If you think that's a coincidence, then I remind you that Einstein said coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. You know, they're, they're in uh, all of us suffer from uh, daily from uh, the emo from emotions and feelings, there are two tides, two high tides and two low tides every day in life. So whatever's rolling in emotionally into your life, stay tuned because it's going to roll out. Hope, even at low tide, can see a new wave coming. There's something to keep in mind because at this time, as Sean was mentioning, the shared passport is anxiety. And that anxiety, uh, if there was ever a call to hope, uh, it it is now. It is time to come home to hope. Yeah, and with the ebbs and flows, like you say, the ins and outs, the ups and downs. One of my favorite sayings is like, when it rains, it pours. You almost can't see the other side, but you do have to keep, like you said, looking for that next wave. But no, no, you've written many philosophies about life, and you know, can you tell us the meaning of it all? I mean, to me, there's this theme of connectivity through all the work that you do. You know, connection, human connection, connectivity in general is that something that has shaped your perspective on life overall? I, th I think so. You know, Noah no and I obviously come from different backgrounds, but I think we have a, a similar 
philosophical look at life. You know, we've both traveled far and wide and experienced a tremendous amount. You know, we've both experienced loss and tragedy. And you know what I've done over the last 15 years since I, I lost my son? You know, I really had to find renewed purpose in my life. <clears throat> and uh, I wrote this little code for surfers many years ago. It was 12 lines, every line beginning with our will. It was really the essence of what surfing had taught me about life and the meaning of life. And I did a little event at Anacapa School a number of years ago, which is a school here in Santa Barbara. It only has 80 students. And I got the students to write their own code, 12 lines, every line beginning with our will. And then that transformed into getting you know, large businesses to do it. So hundreds of thousands of people, maybe millions around the world, have, have written their codes, uh, 12 lines, every line begins with our will, and then they publish it so everyone can see it. So you have this beautiful connectivity, and I outlined it in the book how, how you can do this this process. But in terms of like, what's the meaning of life? From what I've observed with maybe a million people about what they think about life, and life can be defined, I think, by two commitments that people make. One is I will be better, and the other one is I will help others be better. So people want to be better, and people want to help others. For me, that's the meaning of life. I just listened to Sean, and I'm uh, consistently reminded why uh, it, it's, you know, to, to know you are blessed is also a blessing. Uh, it's been a blessing to work on this book with this with this man. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's so self-reminding. Uh, they, you know, they asked, they asked the Dalai Lama what religion he was. He said, I'm a Buddhist, but my religion is kindness. Uh, Jesus said, I am love. Uh, Abu Bakr, the first uh, Muslim caliph said, if you want the blessings of Allah, be kind. In the first century BC, the, the, the great rabbi said, uh, treat others as you want to be treated. And in my book, Jacob the Baker, Jacob reminds people that people of all faiths are of one faith if their religion is kindness. Uh, to, to echo what Sean is, is saying, um, you know, things don't have to be good for you to be great. And a great person is anyone who is trying to be a better person. A great philosopher author once said, the three most important things in life to remember are be kind, be kind, be kind. And if people think that's sophomoric and so easy to say, be kind, be kind, and try to be more kind. I think it's really interesting how you find not only, like I mentioned a universal thread, but a universal thread through faith. Like you brought up all of those different instances where kindness shows itself in different texts. But I want to bring it back to your book again. Do you both of you have a favorite anecdote or portion you'd like to share briefly? I mean, you've already shared such great inspiring quotes that I'm sure people will take with them from this episode already, but maybe something that you felt has resonated with most people, starting with, with Sean. I think one of my, my favorites, and, and I certainly love working on this book with, with Noah, is when, when I talk about uh, losing uh, my beautiful son, Matthew, and, and I have a beautiful son now, Luke, that, 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 that's sort of a miracle in, in our lives. But, you know, there are so many people that have suffered terrible tragedies and calamities, especially over the last couple of years, they've lost their loved ones. And, you know, they're figuring out, like, how, how can they move forward and how can they find meaning and how can they find happiness in their lives again? And I talk about um, after I lost my my, after I lost our son and uh, we were recovering and we were in a hospital and one bolt of lightning hit that building out of an absolutely 
clear blue sky when a friend had come to visit and had asked about our son, uh, Matthew. Um, and Matthew, just a few hours before um, he died, he played this dangerous game, had written these words, the light shines ahead. So for me, this, this metaphor of, of light, and then I, I went and surfed after I'd lost, lost uh, Matthew and I hadn't, hadn't surfed for many months. And a friend took me surfing, he took me to a break and I asked him what's the name of the break. The surfers always have great names for the names of the breaks we, we ride. And he said it's called sunrise. So this whole metaphor about sun rising again and light, I think is very, very powerful. And, and for all of us, from a, both a metaphorical perspective and even from, a, um, from an actual perspective, you know, you walk down to that ocean and you look at that sunrise or you look at that sunset and it just gives you an idea that, you know, life can move forward and, and you can move on from tragedy and the sun will rise again. My father uh, passed from uh, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and toward the end of his life, if I was telling him something and he was feeling what I was saying, he would laugh or cry. But because he was laughing or crying, it didn't mean that he was laughing or crying. It simply meant that he was emoting and it came out that way. And my feeling is that on this journey through the dark woods, the unknowingness, the hesitancies, the fears, the anxieties of life, we will, each of us, bend at some point to build a fire. And when our fingers dig at the soil, we will find the coals of another's fire. And they will not start our fire, and they will not give us light or warmth, but they remind us that somebody else has been in the night, that somebody else is bent to build a fire and somebody else has carried on. And that can be enough sometimes. Well, very powerful from both of you. I think a lot about from both of those responses about Sean, it makes me think you're like looking into the light. It's like the airiness of the sky and Noah, you're talking about being, being grounded, like you're going through the same experiences. So that contrast is really amazing to see you both talk about right there. Now, Bringing it back to Sean, on June 11th, this Saturday, you're leading a paddle out at Ledbetter Beach to celebrate the Santa Barbara Channel and the ocean, and the proceeds of this will go to educational programs. Can you tell me a bit about some of the work that you do with youth programs and in education? I know you touched a bit on it earlier, but... Sure. We, we love, um, I love the Santa Barbara Maritime Museum, and we're doing this paddle out um, as a way just to highlight the beauty and magnificence and also fragility of this incredible channel. Um, and there's some wonderful environmental organizations in town here. Santa Barbara Channel Keeper, Certified Foundation, Heal the Ocean with Hillary House. I mean, we've got so many people just fighting the good fight. So I've been involved in environmental groups. I was the first pro surfer member of Surfrider Foundation way back in 1984. And, uh, you know, Noah spoke about kindness, kindness, kindness. They asked me, for a poster, I gave them a poster, a picture of myself surfing, and they said, you know, we need a slogan for the organization. And I wrote, do a good turn today. So you can see even long before Noah and I had met, we, we were on this on the same path of, of, of kind of surf. So I've been involved with Surf Rider Foundation since 1984. I released my first book, Surface Code, um, shortly after I lost Matthew in 2006. And that really took me down a path of empowering kids and uh, empowering kids to make positive choices because the single biggest killer in this country 
It's a completely disguised calamity. It's poor choice. Poor choice kills a million Americans every year. Over 45% of the population dies just from preventable deaths from uh, traffic accidents, homicide, illicit drugs, suicide, uh, consuming bad food. And, and our son played a risky game, and, and, and he was part of that dreadful statistic. And that statistic is even higher with, uh, with young people, especially teenage boys, because they you know, have a tendency to engage in risky behavior. So, so my whole mission over the last uh, 15 years has been, how can you give them people their power? How can you help them find purpose to make positive decisions? So it's pretty simple. What I do, I get everyone to write their code. Uh, I love doing it. I work with the best universities in the world, the poorest schools in the world. I just did an event last week for um, Kellogg Business School at Northwestern. I did an event for a couple of thousand kids at Missouri State. They all write their code. I've done CSU, Channel Islands, UCSB, many, many different organizations and institutions. And, and uh, I love to give young people a path forward, use the code. And it's outlined in the book how to do the, how to write your code. And uh, I think, uh, you know, Noah and I really, um, really believe that this book, it's not a prescription. This is a guide. This is what this book is. It's a guide and it's a kind guide. A while back, I was asked to give a talk at the uh, Library of Congress. And uh, the subject they asked me to speak up on was what constitutes a civilization? And uh, I was deeply honored that this was read into the congressional record when you talk about how do you reach out and who some of the most uh, helpless people in this country are sitting in the halls of Congress. So that's, that's, the, uh, that's the poor imbued spirits that I was trying to speak to in some way. And so I asked myself, what is it that constitutes a civilization? It isn't uh, porcelain teacups because uh, Japanese generals were drinking from porcelain teacups during the rape of Shanghai. And it isn't classical music because uh, Nazi generals were listening to classical music while they marched people into the death camps. My definition of what constitutes a civilization is borrowed from the first book in the five books of Moses. And it says, it is how people with power treat people without power. And I am reminded of the ancient Asian sage who says that a rising tide lifts all boats. Let's remember that a great ocean has within its body a rising tide. And my prayer is that in our book, like that tide, we will lift all boats. Knowledge just seeping out of you. I can't even imagine how much reading you've done about all of this stuff. I would love to pick your brain more, but I know we're running out of time now. Are there any parting words you'd like to share about share with listeners, maybe about in application for their own life on how to apply these principles? Uh, they did a study a while back about people who were on the, uh, on the, on, on the verge of suicide or people who were on the verge of collapsing back into addiction. And one of the things they found was that people didn't make big decisions in their life out of reason but emotion. And that a simple call, a simple note, a simple reach out to someone else and saying to them, you matter. Tell somebody, tell somebody, tell somebody that they matter. And you know what? It will make you matter more. So, so just to add to, to what Noah has said, so there's a really significant study done a few years ago by Facebook and the National Academy of Sciences. 
It's one of the biggest social studies in the history of the world, and it went completely unnoticed of 687,000 people. Huge, huge study. Um, and they wanted to prove, or they wanted to show whether it's possible to transmit emotions virally through platforms. So they used Facebook and they did this study and they showed that all of us have the power through it's called viral emotional contagion to impact the emotions and ultimately impact the behavior of others. So all of us have this tremendous power through what we transmit on our platforms, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever we do, every time you hit that keystroke, we're going to make an impact somewhere down the line. So we all have this incredible responsibility. And if we just focus and think before we hit that key, is this kind or is this unkind? And that's the decision you've got to make. Somebody said, somebody said in the picture they saw of Sean, I mean, they said there's a real bromance. And I, 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 I cop to that. Uh, there is uh, that in, in our thing. And I want to remind people we're living in, in, a, in a time of high contagions. What Sean said, and I echo, is that kindness is its own contagion. Kindness is its own contagious. Be cautious of what, of how you are contagious in your lifetime. Be kind, let that be the contagion. And we're hoping that uh, the surfer and the sage, uh, a guide to survive and ride life's ways, is a contagion of kindness for this planet. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show this week. And I saw that, Sean Shaksa. We're going to go. <laughs> Shaka. Shaka. Double Shaka. Double Shaka. Double Shaka. Well, thank you so much. And Shaka for all the listeners out there. Shaka, yes. Shaka, Shaka. Thank you so much to both of you, Sean and Noah, for joining me on the show this week. It was an immense pleasure having you on and hearing about not only the book, but just talking about life. You know, people, uh, we've been getting so many responses and, and doing covering so much news about how hard life has been. I'm really happy that we could cover this segment today with you. Awesome, Molly. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Nominations are now open for Best of Santa Barbara. Nominate your favorite businesses in over 200 categories at independent.com slash best of 22. Nominations are open now through July 6th. Once again, I'm your host, Molly McEnany. Tune in next time for another episode.